Come in by the gold gates or not at all. Take of my fruit for others or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and find despair. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And yo soy Kel. And thank you all for joining us today. Uh, Just a reminder that we are talking about the magician's nephew today, but a general spoiler warning for the Narnia series. And heads up that we tend to go on tangents into other stories that we uh, like too. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way uh, if there's anything crazy. But today we are discussing The Magician's Nephew, Chapter 13, An Unexpected Meeting. Kel, do you want to walk through a chapter summary for us? I would love to. And so to quickly summarize, Polly wakes up Diggory and Fledge saying it's a lovely morning and that their toffee from the day before has, boom, turned into a tree. How unexpected and shocking. The three begin their day bathing in the river, eating the toffee fruit, and they set off on the second part of their journey. It was a beautiful flight with mountains rising in front of them with green valleys and glacial streams. And suddenly they begin to... They smell something and it's delicious and wonderful. It's warm and golden and heavenly. And they realize that it's coming from a valley ahead with the lake in it. I wonder if that's where they're supposed to go. Uh, And as Aslan said, there was a hill at the far end of the lake with a garden at the top. They climb and climb the hill and they find, uh, at the top they find high golden gates facing due east. They realize as they approach that only Diggory is supposed to enter. And as he gets closer, he could read the silver inscription on the gates. Come in by the gold gates or not at all. Take of my fruit for others or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and find despair. Diggory knows that he's getting the fruit for others, so it's it's okay. But he also understands that he must not eat any, uh, any himself. He lays his hand on the gate and it instantly swings open like magic. Uh, the garden felt quiet and private and it's obvious which tree he's supposed to go to. It's the center of the garden, almost like that's what Aslan said. And its silver apples seem to glow. Diggory picks the apple, but can't help but take a nice little smell uh, before he puts it in pocket. And man, he wishes he wouldn't have done that because instantly he starts to be tempted and, you know, starts to uh, think about uh, how it, how delicious it would be. And uh, he starts longing for a taste. And, uh, and as opposed to taking a bite, he, you know, fortunately, hastily puts it in his pocket. But there were plenty of other apples on the tree and would have really been that bad to try one. And he begins to make all these excuses and thinking about the writing on the gate, maybe it's not an order, maybe it's just a suggestion, just advice, and really who cares about advice? And as he's thinking, he sees a beautiful bird roosting and maybe even watching him, and he decides it'd be better to not steal the fruit. Thank you for that random bird uh, to bring conviction to our hero. Diggory turns to leave and then receives a terrible shock when he founds, gasp, the witch standing in the garden with him. She was throwing away the core of an apple she had just eaten. And Diggory begins to see the truth of the lines of the poem, for though the witch looked stronger and prouder than ever, her face was deadly white, white as salt. Diggory turns and runs, and the gates closing on their own behind him, shouting for Polly and Fledge to get up. The witch had scaled the wall like Spider-Woman and was close behind him. They threatened to use the rings and vanish, but the witch calls him foolish and tempts him, saying that he could have knowledge that would make him happy. She says that uh, she was the one listening near their campsite also. Shocking. Uh, she also says that the lion just wants the fruit for himself and that he should eat that he should eat it and live forever. And he doesn't want to do it on his own. He uh, when he refuses, uh, she says that it could heal his mother. She asks why he would want to be a slave to a wild animal. They go back and forth and back and forth. But the witch makes the wrong suggestion. She pushes just a little too far when uh, implying that he could just leave Polly behind. They leave the witch instead and they fly back to Narnia. Nobody speaking along the way. And finally, they find their way back to Aslan and the other animals, where upon reaching the ground, Diggory gives Aslan the apple. All right. The theme that we've decided to assign to this chapter is temptation, which is basically the big action of the chapter. Um, Before we even get into it, the title of this chapter is one of the dumbest things ever. Because this chapter is titled An Unexpected Meeting, My Butt. There (laughs) is one bad guy in the book who is not currently unconscious. 
we ended the last chapter seeing a scary shadow running quickly away going west which is the direction that we're going this is the most expected meeting in the book so far and it's ridiculous to me that we would start as an unexpected meeting like you're, t- you're telling it's about me about as unexpected as the toffee tree <laughs> you're telling me that it's unexpected that when our hero makes his way to a garden to go pluck an apple from it that he's going to face temptation from the devil character i mean look we've said it before we'll say it again subtlety not Clive Staples. Subtlety, thy name is not Clive Staples Lewis. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, not quite unexpected, but we'll we'll get there in a little bit. Uh, first, we got to talk about the other unexpected shocker, the toffee tree. Because, you know, who would have thought that, you know, in one quick paragraph from chapter to chapter, uh, that the toffee tree would have turned into a whole thing. It sprouted and it's already giving fruit. Uh, uh, you know. It is, it is so painful to me that the foreshadowing was literally. I planted this in the ground and it grew into fruition. Like yeah. the fruit is bearing a literal fruit. It is the most literal metaphor ever. I it's, can't. I'm sure it's fine. I like that it's like actual fruit, not just literal pieces of toffee wrapped up in wrappers on it. <laughs> what if it's what if they had actually been in their like original wrappers just all over the tree? Well, it sounds like the leaves are kind of like wrapper paper, so I wouldn't did, be shocked. Did the kids bury the toffee or the whole wrapper? I don't know. Maybe it was like a bunch of chunks of toffee like stuck together, like technically cut, but all <laughs> they were gross glued so. together, wrapped in one big piece, or maybe they were individually wrapped. Either way, yeah, this was not a surprise. Not a surprise, not an unexpected meeting with this tree. Uh, maybe that's what the chapter title is about. The, tree. the toffee tree. They met the tree. I think the unexpected meeting is, uh, you know, them actually going to take a bath for some reason. Like, do yeah, they have time for that? Even if they did have time for it, why did we need to know? Like this it's, is a, this is a long chapter. Like this was not a short one. This was not comparatively, a yeah, one as far as yeah. like as far as chapters in this book go. And why did we take the time to watch them like go and take turns and like work out having baths and then also like the horse standing in the water and not bathing. Like, why is that important? It's like weird. when you're watching a movie, you don't want to watch them like go and like wash their hands before dinner and then set the table and then make the food and put it out. That Like you don't need all the detail. You just like, Oh, they ate. Now they're moving to the next thing. Like this is so unnecessary. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a, there's a really funny line in here because it's not supposed to be funny, but C.S. Lewis writes, have you ever bathed in a mountain river that's running in shallow cataracts over red and blue and yellow stones with the sun on it? No, Clive, I can't say that I have. (laughs) And even if I had, why? Like why? (laughs) This is not part of the story. Like, another, this is not what we're doing here. I another, don't know if you remember. Yeah. We're on a quest. Yeah, it's another another weird section right in this. It, like it, this is a decent paragraph or two where he's writing about this whole scene, and then he goes, you know, he he says Diggory goes and takes a bath, and then Polly's going to go and says, and at least she was bathing, but uh, we know she wasn't much of a swimmer, and perhaps it's best not to ask too many questions about what you. What are you getting at? Are, are you Lewis? saying like, she pretended to go take a bath? Like like. What's the whole point of this? What are you? I, Look, at least we can know it. that for the final like point of this mission, Diggory for once is not going to be grubby. He's not grubby when he's about to go to his unexpected meeting with the witch. Uh, at least, at least one of their faces will be clean because apparently hers is going to be stained with the gross juices of a fruit. That like, <laughs> it's just we'll get to that, but yeah. it, it's a uh, you know he's clean. At least yeah. they're clean. Uh, whatever. Uh, so they get back on on their flying winged horse, uh, and they you know make their way 
to this garden and they they start smelling this smelly smell that smells delicious and warm and heavenly and and, and amazing. It's like all of the best fruits and flowers of the world combined into one. Uh, yeah. And it's coming from somewhere up ahead. Chase, do you think that this could be where they're going? It's it's almost like the smell of a really cool special garden, like a fruit, like a fruit that you'd want to eat. Yeah, almost like a magic fruit. The more you eat, Chase, the more did you it ever, smells uh, delicious. Did you ever? Did you ever grow up watching like Dora the Explorer or anything like that? Uh, swiper, no swiping. Sure. So there's a. One of one of the things that was always intriguing to me about that show is Dora would always be facing camera, right? She's breaking fourth wall. Yeah. And she'd be like, hey, where's the mountain? And the mountain's obviously behind her. And you're just like, Dora. <laughs> it's the only thing in the distance. It's the only thing there. Turn around. It's literally highlighted, like on screen. Can, it's, can you see the mountain? This is how I imagine this moment. Where it's Good. like, can you see the garden? Do you smell the apples? I wonder where they could be. Oh, look, a garden. Bing! But also, yeah. with kids, like, honestly, they probably wouldn't know that it was the garden. <laughs> that's, like, that's fair. Yeah. Also, coming up on the hill at the end of this lake gave me strong Harry Potter Half-Blood Prince vibes. I was just like waiting for undead victims of the witch to jump out of the water as they flew over. Which like, luckily, it's, it's really inconsequential that this is in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a valley, like, and all the, the frog on a log and a bog, like, deal that you went through last chapter. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, the I was queen, just... I mean, given, like, that's an interesting comparison, because not in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where, spoiler alert, the queen will die. Uh, but in the following book, Prince Caspian, she's like almost brought back by a pseudo Horcrux. Yeah. And you could kind of say that in a way, eating the apple and the consequences of it, she is sacrificing part of her soul for eternal life. Is that like you're getting both unicorn and Horcrux vibes. vibes. Yeah, I'm just saying, like it's not an it's not a bad representation, you know. It's not a bad metaphor. Which, uh, like, uh, J.K. Rowling was a like English classics like student. Like that's, that's she's her British, degree. so I assume they all have to read all of the Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings books. Like, so yeah, that, I mean. And, and, in that basically, I, just I would like, not be surprised if like she had some semblance of this. I just assume stuff. that like where you know where like you grow up in the U.S. watching like you know Superman and Batman, you grow up reading Lord of the Rings and uh, Chronicles of Narnia in in Britain. I've never grown up in Britain, so I can only make assumptions here. Uh, you just drink tea and read Lord of the Rings, but whatever. I mean, uh, seems right. Seems right. But all that to say, they come upon this garden. They come upon the walls that are golden and built high. And it's uh, it's really interesting because they give all these descriptors that it's obviously like a private place that is secluded and it's not meant to be disturbed. It's not meant to be uh, really a, like a group gathering place. Like it says everything is quiet. Even the fountains are quiet. And the, like it's, it's silent. It's serene. And it... It's it's cool that it's like no Diggory has to be the only one that goes in there. Like this yeah. is his this is his moment. Yeah, uh, and I'll or yeah. I mean that's that's kind of a theme. Oh, it is a like trope in literature and movies that the hero's task has to be done alone, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right as they're approaching the garden, like they realize. Like, just instinctually, it's not like there's anything written, it's not like they were told they aren't allowed to go in, but they just realize as they're walking up, like, oh, this isn't for us. Um, and, yeah, like, it's a trope throughout literature, like, Harry has to walk into the forest alone, Luke has to face Darth Vader alone, like, Aang has to face the Fire Lord alone, like, this is the climax, the final test to find out if the hero is truly worthy of the task they've been given, Will he overcome the pressures and forces set against him? Will, 
he complete the task that has been set before him. Like my hot take though, I think this is one of the dumbest tropes in literature. I think it's ridiculous. And here's why. Like there is never a real reason for the hero to go alone. It's always under the guise of protecting others. Like like there's the famous line from Jenny and Harry Potter, like it's for some stupid noble reason, isn't it? Like Probably. It, yeah, like at the end of the day, it's because they think that they're the only ones who can handle the task. Like it forgets how they got there in the first place. Like Frodo wouldn't have made it to Mount Doom without Sam. Mm. Henry would not have made it to this garden without Fletch. Mm. This is about pride and creating a hero moment. And in doing so, you're creating your own like room for temptation and destruction by removing the support that got you there in the first place. Like, yeah, but if he's not alone and can conquer temptation by himself, how are we supposed to know that he's heroic? I mean, that's Does the he, point. The I would say is, it's less noble and less heroic to think that you uh, that only you can uh, do it rather than truly admit that you need help and honor the people in your life that are there to offer it. Right. The question is like, you don't have to do this on your own. So, you know, why would you, you know, like the whole book has been a, a thing about like, hey, you need other people and you need this girl. And like all of the books are so related to like friendship and community and family. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now in this moment, you've got to abandon principles. But Yeah, because if Diggory had Polly and Fledge with him in the garden, the fruit wouldn't have been a real temptation. If they hadn't been silent while the witch was talking, the witch's temptations would have rung hollow sooner. Like, it's really dumb. Yeah, something, something, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, right? Some, like, yeah. you're, you're stronger together with other people than you are by yourself. Uh, and so I'm, I'm with you, uh, unless there's, like, a blood pact where it's like, hey, only one person can enter or you die kind of like, thing. Where sure. It's like, okay, sure, yeah. Sometimes like, there's real reasons that only one person's there. Or like sure. sometimes your partner's knocked out and you've got to protect them. Like there's places where it does yeah. happen. Like it's a trope across sure. the board. Hermione and, has to make sure that Ron gets taken to the hospital wing because, you know, he gets knocked out by a chess piece. And so Harry has to make his way into, you know, fighting Quirrell and Voldemort. It's crazy. But, yeah. It's, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm with over, you. I'm over the idea that it's actually heroic to think that you got to go it alone. That's a, I like it. I like your take here. I don't. I, I think you're good. I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, also, my, before we move on, the all the biblical garden parallels. Just want to oh, yeah. point out the lack of subtlety. Subtlety of oh yeah, the east facing gates, which hmm. went out and were kicked out of the garden. They went east, hence the famous book East of Eden, uh, the ah. center of garden. Same as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Bible. Ooh. Eating the fruit, thing you're not supposed to do. Fruit is beautiful and causes desire. Same. Tempter saying to disobey Aslan and eat the fruit for your own good rather than trust the one who made it in the first place. Same. So what you're so, saying is that Moses, the you know author of the book of Genesis, stole from C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's really disappointing to hear yeah i mean there's gonna be an investigation but uh i think i think it's not gonna look good for for the bible here it's not gonna come out great uh but um no i'm with you one one more thing for me before we get into our poetry hour uh is for me so if we go back to aslan's instructions here right he said you know go through the mountains Go th like there's a valley at the valley there's a lake in the lake there's a hill at the hill there's a there's a garden in the garden there's a tree go to that tree he doesn't say anything about gates he doesn't say anything about not entering right and we come upon this inscription that's basically like hey do not sneak in don't come in through the top like enter through the gates uh and like also you know don't take fruit for yourself just for other people they're on a flying freaking horse what if they had just flown in? Yeah, what because if they landed in the wrong spot and didn't have time to read? Right, because obviously, you know, like the queen or the witch, she sneaks in. Like, she goes over the top of the gate. It is able to be done. You can go over. Did anything happen to her because of that? No. Well, well, I mean. Well, but, I, mean I, I don't think it's because of that, though. But it's it's a thing where it's like the 
they easily like the the punishment could have easily fallen upon them if they had just done what flying horses do, which is namely fly, and just flowed into the garden. Like, why stop in front of it? Yeah, but I mean, is it about? It's about climbing the wall. If you fly over it or jump over it, that's not climbing. Chase, you're looking for loopholes like a middle school boy playing dodgeball right now. So. Or like Diggory saying that advice isn't for following. Oh, we'll get there, my friend. We'll get there. But now I think it's time for our poetry hour. Um, Chase, I have a, I know that you prepared a haiku, and I prepared a limerick for this. Would you like to deliver your haiku for us? I worked really hard on it. So I think you'll be very impressed. It took probably um, approximately 30 seconds. Yes. We we were on the Zoom call already when I started this, so uh don't judge me. But haiku, here we here we haiku. Um this gate is only those who do not seek for only their own good. Mm, deep, deep. So my limerick for us says there once was a gate you could enter. But beware not to sneak like a sinner. And the apple you take must be shared with a mate, or it will be a very long winter. For you, presumably. Yeah, but never Christmas. Never Christmas. Just to, See, okay, I liked my like long winter because it was like a call to the future books, you know? It's yeah. like, I thought it was clever, so. Plus, uh, give me some Game of Thrones vibes, so we're just hey. rolling on all cylinders. Uh, 2020 is coming, my friend. Uh, or winter is coming. Hold on. Which one of those was? Uh, I think 2020 is, is almost it's, over. I think there's about uh, about 19 days. That's what you think. I think 2020 is just going to continue. There's going to be December 32nd and so on. Man, can't wait. That's going to be can't a history-making History-making year. Uh, you know, to add to the historical year that it has been. But with all that said, poetry hour now complete, you know. Uh, leave a comment and see if you you know enjoy our our poetry. Uh, if you have uh, something else you'd like to propose for uh, you know a genre uh, of of poetry for future for future poems that we may come across. Uh, I'll, I'll work harder next time. It's a bit of maybe morning. we'll see. Maybe no guarantees <laughs> to work hard. Yeah, probably not. This is not a job. Um, but yeah, not with that uh, attitude. Well. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> just gotta pull myself up by my bootstraps and uh, yeah. turn this into a full-time Narnia gig. Bingo! Gosh, I don't, uh, I don't think I'd want to be a full-time Narnia reader. That that sounds like not enough. Uh, but anyways, hey. the inscription uh, is where we're at now. Is which is why we read poetry. Um, but I just think it's really cool here the parallels uh, with the bell and like this is if you're not not tracking with us this is the second time we've seen poems engraved in dangerous places and strange worlds in these books um the first time was in charn with the bell that woke up the witch now diggory is standing at his final test and has another warning to either listen to or ignore what's insane to me is that he still doesn't think the inscription is that important when it comes down to it, because he later says to himself, after all, he thought, the notice on the gate might not have been exactly in order. Yeah. It might have only been a piece of advice, and who cares about advice? Not me, man. Not uh, me. Yeah. I can Either tell way, you what. Though. And even if it is a command, like, would he be by would he be disobeying it? by eating the apple himself because he's already obeyed the part of the order where it says, you know, take it for others. So if he just additionally took one for himself, like he's not technically breaking the rules, are he? Or is he? Like, I mean, what's wild to me is that the only reason he really doesn't eat this apple right here or like take an extra one is because there's a bird in the tree watching him. Thank you, Bird, the unsung hero of this book. Which, like, like shady, like, squint eye, like, pretending to sleep watching him. Like, yeah. it, is the bird Aslan? Like, why is this important? Hey, aren't we all Aslan, in a way? I think they addressed that in the last battle, and the answer we come to is no. Oh, okay, no, cool. Never mind. Aslan. So, we're not 
like pantheists. Okay, cool. No, cool, it cool, does cool. walk that line a little bit, but it kind of toes the line. Not all the way, just most of the way. Hey, dude, sometimes you just got to dip your toes into the pool of, of heresy uh, yeah. and then pull back. It's fine. <laughs> Look, love wins is not an untrue statement. It's just, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> mm, so, so good. Uh, wow. <laughs> so apt. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so with with Diggory here, it's how quick he is to justify his own actions. And again, like you mentioned, it is the same character facing temptation from an inscription in the same book. And he's doing the same exact thing where it's like, ah, I think I'd be fine. Hey, do you remember the witch that you awoke? It could not go well for you. And it probably yeah. won't. Yeah. I mean, it is cool to see the parallels between his initial temptation and where he like fails and this new temptation where he overcomes it. Like I'll talk more about that in my further up and further in, but like it's wild to me the lessons that Diggory has not learned at this point in the book. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. It's and like luckily he'll have his redemption moment shortly. But like man, he comes awfully close to not like fulfilling it if it weren't for that meddling bird and his you know half open eye like man just a bird on a roost in a tree in a in, the middle in a garden of in a, in a hill in a lake in a valley in some mountains and <laughs> not in narnia not in narnia which begs the question who planted the garden who wrote on the gate all that stuff who Probably. did ride in the gate if it's only been here for seconds? Did Aslan sing the gate from across the... Did Did Aslan create the rest of the world but then make Narnia the country last? Like, what is... Happening? And also, did, like, you know, there's a lot of questions to be had here because it is a thing where, like, I think this is he's definitely doing this for, you know, Diggory and Polly's sake and everything so that he can have this heroic redemption arc and whatever. But also... Aslan, my dude, created the tree with the fruit. Yeah, it's definitely a power trip to send them across the country to a different land to get the thing rather than just be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to grow this tree like 10 feet away. Could you like go pick an apple and bring it over here just to tell me you're serious and I'll plant another tree over here? Like it, there's no reason that this garden had to exist in the first place. This garden never comes up yeah. again. And it's also literally just for this act. And also his claim is that the fruit of this tree will produce another tree that will grow in Narnia and protect Narnia from the witch. Do you know who easily got to this tree that has the fruit that will be planted to create a seemingly similar tree that would protect the witch? from the witch the witch chase the witch easily gets to this tree what are the rules here i think it's like harry potter rules where voldemort can't touch harry without harry's blood like ah maybe, maybe she's getting immunity before he can plant the new tree so the apple is like harry's blood and the juices flowing down her face are like are Voldemort in as the naked cauldron. baby in yeah. a cauldron. <laughs> naked baby. Getting up uh, and saying, clothe me, Pettigrew. And then obviously the bird is Pettigrew. Um obviously. Yeah. Obviously. It's clear. It's been clear the whole time. I don't know why we just get into this. Pettigrew, Peck agrew. It's yes. right there. It's right there for everyone to see. Not subtle, Clive. <laughs> We've been saying it the whole time. <laughs> but he, you know, so uh, he decides not to steal. He, uh, you know, thanks to his conscience, i.e. guilt from this bird. Uh, but Clive is like real quick to throw shade here at a moment that I don't think is like very shade worthy. Where he's like, things like do not steal were, I think, hammered into boys' heads a good deal harder in those days than they are now. Like you mentioned, the only reason he's not stealing actively is because he's being watched. 
he would have done it had yeah. he not been washed. He's giving Diggory credit he doesn't deserve. And also, like, do not steal has always been said to people across generations, across the world, across time. Like, Augustine, who lived, like, over years, years. probably yeah. 1,500 years before Clive Staples Lewis, wrote a whole book about how he felt bad about stealing an apple one time. It's Maybe not that's new. where he got it. Maybe Augustine is Diggory. Maybe Diggory is the spare in the graveyard that is going to be killed. It all comes together. Cedric Diggory, Diggory. It's right whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you just coming to that? I've been thinking about that literally this entire time. I literally had not even put two and two together. The second uh, I made the like lake and hill comparison, it clicked for me. Of like, oh, there's a Diggory in that book too. Man, Diggory. Man. So this could have ended worse for him. This could have been worse. He could have been Avada Kedavra to the middle of a graveyard uh, after supposedly winning the Triwizard Tournament. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, the Triwizard with four wizards. Prize money. Yeah. The, uh, quad, the quadra. Quad Tri Wizard Tournament. The, yeah. the Quadrupel Wizard Tournament. Correct. Uh, so, C.S. Lewis throwing shade again at, at kids who are listening to this story that doesn't deserve to be thrown, uh, trying to hammer some you know good morality. And I'm like, hey, don't steal, kids. Yes, uh, perfect moment to get on a moral soapbox. But after he, you know, after Diggory sees this and he decides not to steal, and uh, he sees dun 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 the witch. And she's eating an apple. Surprise. Shocker. She has climbed the wall. And she's in here. The one thing you weren't supposed to do. Chase, this is an unexpected meeting. What? Who? The witch? You're telling me that she's she's here? I thought she was done. She ran into the woods. Several podcasts ago, we said that she was going to never be seen again. We were wrong, Chase. This is unexpected. And if we weren't through all the possible literature tropes that you could sprinkle into this book, here we get a devil's bargain. Um, The side effects of the fruit, uh, which if you're not familiar with a devil's bargain, essentially it's a trope in literature where you're offered what you want, but the unintended the unintended consequences end up destroying any joy you would have gotten from what you thought you wanted. Like, like wishing to have all the money because you want to take your family on vacation, but then the consequences that your family dies when you get it, like that's a devil's bargain. Um, so Diggory looks over uh, after overcoming his personal temptation to eat the fruit and sees the witch openly eating it. And inside the fruit is, darker than you might expect which is the way that he phrases it which is odd because i don't know what he thinks we expected i guess he's right i just imagine the juice looks like blood running that's what i'm picturing which like like, it's a very full edward colon like vampire vibes like around the mouth it's Um, very it's very stark here because i'm also picturing blood when i'm reading this and it says that like yeah she looked strong and proud and triumphant but that she was like deathly pale she says she's white as salt uh like she's been drained of all the color and so like the red on her like pale white face looks like in my mind is like oh you're giving off real like evil queen vibes from snow white and like it's rough she is now officially the white witch hey she's hey good for her this is the moment a whole book early good for you uh she's done it like guys we didn't think she'd make it here but man good for her shouts to a queen shouts to the queen she knew what she wanted she went after it and she got it she did it and she don't need no man so she's uh, although she does weirdly ask diggory out later in this chapter but we'll get there she in like in her first you know attempt and she gives many attempts to tempt to like tempt diggory which i want to break down here but one of the points of temptation is like hey you could eat that apple and we could both live forever and we could be king and queen of this country, this world, your world, any world where it's like, lady, you're like, like a, like a few thousand years old. 
roughly. And Diggory's like 10. Like, that's maybe don't. Yeah. Real, real red flag here. And what's somehow worse, this is not the only time in this series that she will try to lure a young boy into essentially being her husband. That's true. It's, it's real weird. It's, not a fan. Uh, not okay. She really needs to, like, change her, like, granted, she is the, like, an evil queen. Like, she's the white witch. So we don't expect, like, proper morality from her. But, like, can you not be, you know, like, a pedophile? Yeah. Like, like if you're going to be anything, don't be that. <laughs> it, it does beg the question, though, which this is a legit question, because I am still confused. Why does the witch follow Diggory out of the garden? I mean, what is she hoping to get there? Does she I, just really want a son? Is she? I think like like trying think, to kidnap him. Like why? Why would she follow? She doesn't want anything but to bring him down with her. I think this is a similar moment to like her speaking the deplorable word in Charn. Right? It's like a it's like a hail mary kind of effort from her, but it's also. A, the thing where it's like, hey, if I can't win, no one can. I think upon eating this fruit, I think she's aware, like she's already, so she speaks about how she's aware that like she's going to live eternally unless she's like killed. Uh, and like she is, she is going to never age. She's going to be Peter Pan in this thing. Uh, just no change. Um, but I think because she's aware of that and she's so aware of magic, she's probably also aware of the punishment and the consequences that are going to come from it. And that it's going to be a miserable living. She's going to be in despair and that she can't be around that kind of magic. And especially knowing what, like, because she knows the council because she was, you know, hiding in the woods very secretively. Uh, and she knows that this fruit is going to be planted uh, and like create this magic barrier somehow to protect against her. For uh, a few so, hundred years, you know, whatever. I, I don't think, know, because, like, she wasn't there for the plan. I don't know that they did talk about that. Somehow, dinner. right, they didn't talk about it, but somehow she knows the plan. Because she says, like, I, I heard your counsel, and I'm aware of it. I'm aware of all of your plans. So, like, maybe they had some off-screen conversations. Maybe. But also, like, her reaction of carelessness when they leave her makes me think that she didn't have a real dog in the fight other than just, I'm going to try to kidnap this boy. Maybe. You could be right. I have no idea. But regardless, she tries to kidnap and tempt this boy into eating this apple. And I just want to go through, because, like, this is, this is, like you said, the devil's bargain moment. This is the hero's journey where he comes upon temptation and uh, is having to conquer said the temptation. And as we've mentioned before in this podcast, he has not notoriously done well with this uh, in the previous chapters. He has failed in his temptive, uh, you know, or temptation moments. And in this moment, she tempts him with power, with youth, royalty, uh, the opportunity to save his mother, the thing he wants most. Uh, she tempts him by, uh, by speaking guilt into him uh, from both his parents. Like, think about what your mom and dad would think. Uh, she tempts him by speaking the folly of his own decisions, how foolish is, it is that what he's doing. She tempts him by uh, wanting freedom versus slavery, because who would want to be a slave to a wild animal, especially? Uh, and so tempts him with freedom versus that, tempts him with autonomy, being able to do all the things that you want to do and not worrying about other people, uh, and tempts him with being like, no one could even find out. It would be so easy to lie, to break a promise, to do all these things. Who's going to know? The only people here are you and I, and I'm not going to go tell Aslan. Like, so she, she's, she's pulling out all the stops here where... You know, she's she's really working this angle. And she, like, she almost had it. She was really close until she pushes it just a little too far. And she's like, all of these things are your, like, reasoning for why you should eat this apple. And you could just leave that stupid girl behind. Oh, man. She has never been a fan of Polly. She's um, never, never been a fan of Polly. 
and she's just trying to get rid of her. It's like, oh, you were so close. You could have had it. Just stick on the mother trade. Like the mother yeah. guilt trip, I think could have worked. Mother guilt trips usually do work, but uh, yeah, it's it feels like a misstep for her because I mean the whole cruelty of the witch's temptation is that it plays so heavily on Diggory's care for others. Mm-hmm. But then that is what breaks the temptation is that she misjudges whether Diggory will care for others, but that's the whole basis for her temptation in the first place. That feels like she's fighting against herself. Yeah. Again, bad play calling by the coach. She should have done better. I was rooting for Poor end of the game clock management. Just real, real rough. Uh, you know, it's it's not 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 a great look. Uh, but because of this, he's Diggory is snapped out of this, you know, temptation, uh, like hypnosis he's in, like thinking through all these things and whether it would be good. And he said, like this, snaps him out. He goes, Look here, where do you come into all this? Why are you so precious fond of my mother all of a sudden? What's it got to do with you? What's your game? Uh, and he's like, no, like what? Like he's realizing all of the, you know, the the evilness and the shallowness and how it's just self-serving for her. And, uh, you know, Polly goes, good for you, Diggs, which like sweet. She gave him a nickname that's like not like grubby face or something. Yeah, odd uh, moment to get a nickname. But like. So why are you just now talking? Yeah, she could have been saying something the whole time if they're right there or it's like. Diggory, don't listen to her, you know, yeah. whatever. This but, is what I was getting at earlier. I'm like, why do you think this is the moment not to help your friend when he's literally facing down an evil queen and he yeah. clearly is struggling? Why are you not helping your yeah. bad friend? <laughs> it's it's a it's not a great look for Holly, but she gives him a nickname, so that's kind of cool. So oh, it's fine. got so it evens out. Uh I for me, when I heard her say, like, good for you, Diggs. Uh, you know, it's it's around Christmas time when you're when we're recording this podcast, and we love it's a wonderful life here uh, in the Castro household. And so this for me reminded me a lot of the like the Jimmy Stewart like out of boy Clarence like uh, moment at the end of the movie where it's like Clarence finally got his wings, uh, and so he, like he hears a bell ring, and it's like Clarence got his wings out of boy, uh, and so. Uh, also, if you want me to do Jimmy Stewart impersonations, whatever, I will gladly oblige. Uh, for the rest of the podcast. You rest of the podcast. Think of me, boy. Uh, you, you want the moon? I'll go I'll call a lasso around the moon. How about that? How's that show? Uh, but uh, so it's it's just uh, it's interesting that they fight this whole thing. And then as they're escaping, she gives like one last hurl insult. Uh, and now, you know, it's just her trying to be spiteful and vindictive where she says, think of me, boy, when you lie old and weak and dying. And remember how you threw away the chance of endless youth. It won't be offered to you again. And good breakup song I'm about it. That's a, I think Speaking that's on the which, new, Taylor Swift dropped Swift a new album. album last night. Indeed she did. I listened was, to the whole thing already. I have as well. It was very good. It's, um, it's great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, gotta love she is, Swift. She is also, very Miley much, Cyrus's new album is real good too. I have not listened to that. Super good, it. very '80s rock vibes, um, like to the point where Billy Idol is on one of the songs. All right, it's a, it's a good listen. Highly recommend. There you go. Chronicles yeah. of podcast where you can hear about all of your favorite fantasy fiction novels and our own personal opinions on Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus. Yeah, fans. Uh, but Fans. you know who wasn't listening to Taylor Swift or Miley Cyrus on their drive home was our gang as they're flying back silently. Silently. Yeah, which, I mean, I get it. We've all been there. But, like, Diggory's sad, silent, unsure if he made the right decision. The thing that keeps him going is remembering the tears in Aslan's eyes, like the care that he showed. And if Diggory didn't have some indication that Aslan is good and worth listening to he probably wouldn't have overcome the witch's words or like made it back like the only reason he made it through and keeps on the path is he's on despite the hardship is that he truly believes that aslan cares and if you can trust aslan you can make it through if not you fall apart on the journey and, like, and you end up you end up pl- getting planted in the ground and i uh, think that he's just an unintelligible lion yeah you turn into a tree um, you turn into a tree but yeah I mean, 
I, I mentioned this last chapter, but this is the stuff that makes me think of the silver chair in this book. Like those internal tensions, the journey, the endurance that it takes to push through and complete the task. And in the silver chair, it's reciting Aslan's commands, trusting the goodness that you can hold on to uh, when the world is dark and seems against you. Even if Narnia wasn't real, it's still worth holding on to the goodness that you can remember in Aslan. Like, here it is remembering Aslan's heart and the tears in his eyes and trusting that his plan is going to be worth it, even though it feels heavy and, and bad right now. Um, but yeah, they they fly back silently and they make it back and he does the handoff. He does the handoff. They're standing at the edge of a cliff and he hands him a lightsaber, I mean an apple, uh, and he throws, and, it, uh, and he throws it straight into the ocean. <laughs> Just kidding. He doesn't do that. That's a different movie. But we've reached the end of our chapter. And Chase, we only have two more. Uh, oh my gosh, it's wild. It's wild. But with that, Chase, I think it's time for us to head further up and further in. And uh, I think I'll start us off this time. Because uh, we've, we've mentioned this a little bit so far. But uh, my further up and further in is, is, uh, is truly about the biblical garden imagery we, that we experience in this chapter in particular. And uh, from a few different like aspects of it, right? Because um, you know, you know, fair warning here. Like I, I, you know, we try not to get too, you know, Christianity, uh, you know, oriented uh, too much. But it's it's hard not to uh, in this chapter in particular um, because C.S. Lewis seems to like take from a few different sources in Scripture. Obviously, the Garden of Eden and the temptation there. Uh, as we've mentioned, where there is a tree in the middle of the garden with fruit that he is tempted to eat. And just as with the Genesis narrative where Adam and Eve are in the garden and they've been told not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, and they're being tempted by literal Satan and, and now metaphorical Satan in uh in our book here to eat this to and that you know the what are the benefits of this well you'll be like god knowing that knowing good and evil you'll be uh aware of these things during yourself you'll be able to have autonomy um a lot of the same things that the witch is trying to tempt uh diggory with in the same way that it's like hey you can be free you don't need to be a slave to Aslan. You don't need to be listening to him. You can be autonomous. You can have power. So all of that is still present. Uh, but I think it's also really interesting, especially the inscription uh, that is on the on the front of the gate um, is really, really similar to uh, John 10, where this is a much probably less well-known narrative than the Genesis story. Uh, so I'm going to read it for, for everyone who's listening. It says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Where this, the, so this inscription is, it says nothing against entering. So long as you enter in the gate and you're, you can provide life to people, right? You can bring apples to other people and those apples are going to end up protecting Narnia for hundreds of years. And uh, the fruit of that tree will be brought and, you know, spoiler alert, they will be able to save Diggory's mother uh, and they will be able to then be planted uh, to create a tree in earth with that, and that tree is going to be the fruit that produces the wardrobe uh, and, and the magic of the line that was in the wardrobe and entering into Narnia. And um, there's so much life that can be freely had if you enter this garden and it's delicious smells and it's wonderful and it's serene and it's beautiful and it's, it's free to come in and go. Uh, and in just in the same in this, as in John 10, where it's Jesus saying like, if you enter, through me, the one way to go, the gate, the door, that you come in the proper way, that there's life, life abundantly. But if you are a, if you don't enter in through that way, that there's destruction, there's death, right? And he compares the one who crawls over the gate, who goes, who sneaks in, i.e. the witch, i.e. Satan, is the person who's trying to steal 
and kill and destroy. The motivations are not to bring life and life abundantly, but instead to bring death and death abundantly. Uh, and so I just think it's really interesting the the different uh, biblical narratives that he is weaving into this chapter in particular. Yeah, he definitely likes to take all that imagery and and just turn it into a magical world. A magical world indeed. Well, my further up and further in uh, is just on the pattern of redemption in this story. Uh, so this is the big climax chapter in this book. The next chapter, of, a couple of chapters will have some significant things for sure, but this is where the big mistake of this story gets wrapped up and redeemed. So like Aslan said to Diggory at the beginning of his journey, like son of Adam, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? Like the whole point of this leg of the book has been undoing the wrong done by Diggory in the first part of our story. So what's cool and unique about this story, though, is the shape that that redemption takes. Like the way that Diggory is to correct his wrong is to face a parallel scenario to the one that messed him up in the first place. Like we pointed out earlier the parallels of the poems, the temptation to ignore the warnings, the desire to see what could come of ringing the bell or eating the fruit. Like Diggory's redemption here comes in two parts, though. First, he must face the same temptation he originally did, and this time overcome it. Those are those parallels. Second, he must face the consequences of his original wrong, overcome them, and leave them behind. That's the witch, right? right? Redemption in this story comes by facing the temptations you once fell to, and this time overcoming them, and facing the consequences of your past mistakes, dealing with them, and moving forward. So in a sense, it's what it means to mature, right? Like to come to the things that used to trip you up, overcome them, and continue on with greater awareness and purpose. So Aslan offers this journey to Diggory as a way to, yes, solve the problems he created in the world, but on a deeper level, he's giving Diggory a chance to see the path to growth and change within himself. Because true redemption is always both exterior, facing the big bad guy, and interior, facing yourself. So that's something cool here in the climax of this story and the way that that takes shape. Absolutely. Well, Chase, we had a nice, long, silent, or not so silent uh, ride home in this podcast. We've reached ground and we are ready to hand off our apple to Aslan in the hopes that he will produce a beautiful, flourishing podcast. And, uh, you know, with that, Chase, we'd, we'd love to here, uh, would you mind telling our, our listeners where they can help make this a beautiful, flourishing podcast? Absolutely. If you would like to give us five apples. Uh, five on, apples. <laughs> five stars on uh, on Apple Podcasts or uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a rating or review or share this podcast with friends who might be interested in this journey. We are inching closer and closer to the end of this book, uh, getting closer and closer to the next installment in the series. Um, and yeah, we, we would love to hear from you guys. We'd love for you to engage with us on social media. On Instagram, we are at Chronicles of Podcasts. We love to talk to you there. Follow us, uh, engage with us. Yeah, and with that, we will see you next week as we get into chapter 14 of this book. Peace, suckers. Gotta catch that rhythm. You should gotta you should wrap it for sure. I'll save that for a future podcast. Uh, I'll br I'll bust out my freestyle uh, skills for uh, you know maybe lying the witch in the wardrobe. You you should, or we could make a Christmas episode and, and you a holiday special. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like more work than that, <laughs> I want to do. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs>